0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, Just really quick, for those of you who are relatively, well, relatively, but new, you haven't been around Crossroads for that long, uh, I just wanted to share with you, Crossroads, actually it was called Beulah Baptist, and I don't remember the name before that, but it's been around since 1902, so 120 years, Um, and despite the gray hair, I haven't been here that whole time, Uh, but August of this year is going to mark the 15th year that Christy and I have been a part of, of Crossroads. And in my head, I heard applause, but that's okay. Uh, 15th year, and one of the things that I like to do uh, in my role as pastor, other than make TikTok videos, which I do a lot of, um, is I like to make sure that when we teach, what we do on Sunday, when we come and gather to do the celebration, is that make sure it's biblically based. That it's not like, hey, here's my opinion, or here's what I think. It's just, here's what the Word of God says. Because that's literally how, darn it. Yes, use the word literally. Okay, that's actually how um, Beulah, Crossroads Who We Are Now, got started. There were two women who wanted to make sure that people in the community knew the Bible, uh, and so they started teaching them the Bible. That grew into a church, and that grew into what you see here today. Uh, Now, when it comes to teaching the Bible, there's a couple of ways that you can do it. One is what's called topical preaching. It's where you take a topic and says, hey, here's, here's everything the Bible says on this particular topic, right? So it doesn't matter what the topic is. It could be, you know, here's what the Bible says about faith. Here's what the Bible says about marriage. Here's what the Bible says about prayer, relationships, you name it, topical preaching. Uh, we just went through the series um, saying, you know, here's what the Bible says about like morality and all these other things uh, that we just finished. Um, we'll do, uh, even though, We're going to be live stream only next week. Uh, The message that I'll be preaching is kind of, here's what the Bible says about life, liberty, and a pursuit of justice, Um, because, you know, 4th of July. So uh, topical preaching, here's everything the Bible says. Uh, There's another type of preaching uh, that's also biblical. It's called expository preaching. That's where you take one book of the Bible uh, and you go either chapter by chapter or verse by verse or series of passages by series of passages and teach all the way through that book. And it's not that one is better than the other. Um, it's just a lot of people prefer one over the other. And no, just curious, how many people prefer topics when you go through a topic and say, here's what the Bible says about that? Okay. Okay. What is are people? Oh, because everyone's eating water ice. So no one wants their hands are busy. Okay. So just nod then how many people prefer expository where you go through a series of books and say here's what the bible says about that book okay a couple of people how many people prefer both no preference yeah okay that's that's where the majority of people are right and there's a lot of congregations that will do one or the other some it's just straight topical and it's literally darn it the pastor just pulling out and saying you know here's a topic i want to preach on uh, some will only do expository. They will only go through books and chapters of the Bible, uh, and every now and then they may stop and, and do a topical thing. Um, I like to do both because we see both throughout the Bible, right? We see places where, you know, there's Jesus stopping and talking with people about this topic. We also see, you know, where here's, here's a whole Bible on a given topic, so we'll, we'll teach through that, um, I don't think one is better than the other. I prefer being able to go through both because I like to pray and say, okay, God, what, whether it be what book of the Bible or what topic, what do you want us as a congregation to know that's gonna make us more impactful at sharing your word with this community? Uh, which is one of the problems I have with, I'm not saying it's wrong, with what's called the lectionary. Everyone, anyone know what a lectionary is? It's the book that tells some denominations Jews, it's a book that says, Here's the verses you're going to preach on this week. And it's laid out for like, I think, a three-year time span. And it's good because over that course of time, you go through every verse in the Bible. But, I mean, that means that one week you may be preaching on something that's really not relevant to what the congregation and the community are going through, but you're doing it because that's what the book says. Um, So that, uh, in my mind, that kind of takes the prayer aspect out of it. It also takes the personalization aspect out of it. Nothing wrong with those pastors who do it. If it works for you, keep doing it. I prefer to do these. But there is one other type of preaching that's also biblical, and I may have the way that it's called wrong. It's called characterization. And I may have that phrase wrong, but it's called character preaching. It's where you take a person in the Bible and you talk about their character. The the good, the bad, the ugly and how we can learn from that, right? Because if I'm able to look and see like, hey, here's there's someone in the Bible that's struggling with whatever, just like me, but then I'm able to see their like gospel moment, then it makes it possible for me to see, hey, if they can get there, or if God can do that in their life, then maybe God could do that in my life. And David is probably, King David, probably the most popular person that people use because He's got stuff where he was doing good and had faith in God, killing giants. Then he's got stuff where he was doing bad, just running around, womanizing. And then he's got stuff where he's doing good and devotes like actually billions of his dollars from out of his own pocket to build God's uh, uh, temple in the sanctuary. So, so he has the ups and the downs that a lot of people can identify with. It makes it easy for a lot of people to say, yeah, I can see that. So that being said, based on like the characterization, I wanted to start a new series this morning called The Gospel According To. And we're not going to go through this for weeks. We're just going to come back to it every now and then and look at here is this person um, in the Bible. Uh, Here's where they were. And then somehow they got to this point of having this gospel moment where they were able to step across the line of faith and say, yeah, I'm going to put my faith and my trust and believe in God. And usually what we'll find is that person started in a place that many of us were at one time, or some of us may still be today. So I thought the best person to start this series off with would be the gospel according to James, the brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Jesus had multiple... Uh, brothers, James was one of his brothers who started. This is actually, I can honestly say, where I was at one point, and where a lot of people are today. James started at a point where he looked at Jesus and said, "Hey, you're crazy." And and not that I was able to look at Jesus and say he was crazy, but when I thought about Jesus and anyone saying, "Well, he's God and he rose from the dead," I would look at them and say, "You're crazy." That's ridiculous. There's no way that that's possible. And this is is where James started. Now, I'm going to walk through a bunch of scripture because I want you to see where he started and where he ends up. Um, The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. When it says he's out of his mind, it doesn't mean, like, we say that about someone who doesn't vote the way we think or someone who, you know, uh, does something that we don't agree with. It it, it literally, darn it, actually, I know, actually means his family had a meeting, and they're like, hey, um, we need to do something about Jesus. I mean, we need to get him some mental help. Uh, We need to possibly have him committed we can't leave him on his own. He's a danger to himself and others. And, you know, okay, I can, I can be with him Monday and Tuesday because I could take those days off. Someone else needs to be with him the rest of the week because he's not sane, right? This is, this is how his family viewed him. Now, John takes it a little bit further and tells us more specifically about his brothers. John says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there, were the Jewish leaders there, we're looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was there, Jesus's brother said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Now, a Jewish festival, huge festival of tabernacles. Everybody came out to it. Think of it as, you know, a huge, our 4th of July or, or community day or whatever. Now, his brothers went on and they said this, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe in him because here's, imagine if one of your family members, now it's hard for us because we know that Jesus has already done this, but imagine if one of your family members was walking around saying, you know how it says that God's going to come in the flesh? That's me. I'm God. And some of you are right now thinking about that little brother or sister that you used to smack around or beat up or clean up after, saying, "Ah, that's not going to... And if they grew up, and as an adult, they were walking around saying, hey, I'm God in the flesh, right? You would probably mock them too. You would probably not see them as uh, the viable, like God using them and coming in the flesh. But James somehow... He went from this. He went from Jesus, you're crazy, to Jesus, you are Lord. He went from like, hey, uh, we gotta have this family meeting and we gotta talk, we gotta do something about him because he's, he's, he's insane, he needs mental help, he's not safe, he's a danger to himself and others, to hey, not only Jesus, you are Lord, but Jesus, I'm going to go make sure that I'm a crucial foundational part of making sure everyone else knows that you're Lord. James didn't just step across the line of faith. He jumped across it and then jumped into being one of the, the, the foundational members and leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, this is what we're told in the book of Acts, chapter 15. It says, when they finished, James spoke up, brothers, he said, listen to me. Now, to give you some context, uh, the, the, the movement of Christianity was growing. But it started out of Jewish people and out of Jewish doctrine. So initially, for the first 8, 9, 10 years, it was predominantly Jewish people that were Christians. So when it started spreading to other Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they would look and say, wait, you're telling me that you know, Jesus resurrected, that he's God, but I'm not Jewish, so why do I have to obey these like 613 Jewish laws? Are you trying to get me to be Jewish, or are you trying to get me to understand that Jesus is Lord? And so they started pushing back on, I don't want to obey all your 613 laws because I don't want to be Jewish. And so the church in Jerusalem had this meeting. And all the leaders were there, and James was one of the leaders, and he spoke up and he said, hey brothers, listen to me. Now, I'm going to spare you the long speech that he gave, but basically, once he finished his speech, he said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So James was the one who kind of led the discussion, said, hey, I'm going to make the final call. And then he crafted a letter that got sent out to the churches on here's how those two things intermesh. And it's still a foundational part of Christianity today, right? Now, this is what Paul uh, says about James. Paul writes this letter to the church in all the areas of Galatia. They don't really know who he is. So as he's sharing his testimony with them, in order to describe who he is to them. He says, God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, that's James, the brother of Jesus. Cephas, that's Peter. And John, that's the apostle John. Those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul is trying to get these people to understand who he is. So he starts name dropping people who they would know in the Christian movement as leaders. So he starts with James, the brother of Jesus. And he says that James and uh, Cephas, that's Peter and John, they were pillars. That word pillars means uh, foundational supporting people. Like Christianity would not be what it is today without James, Peter and John. So when we look back, we see that James, he went from, hey, Jesus, you're crazy, bro, to Jesus, you are Lord, but also to Jesus, I'm going to help do whatever I can to make sure other people know that you're Lord. And what I want to show you is what helped James go from, hey, you're crazy and mocking Jesus to telling others about Jesus because that's a huge step, right? You don't just go there overnight or because you read something in a book. And although the Bible tells us that James saw the resurrected Jesus, James tells us that wasn't enough. Like, that wasn't it, right? So the Bible tells us, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. What Paul is sharing is, hey, this is basically the gospel. And the gospel is built on the foundation that prophecies were made thousands of years ago that this would happen, and that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And founding part of the gospel is that Jesus appeared to other people right? But then he says this, he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's James, the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So it would seem that just seeing the resurrected Jesus would be enough. But James doesn't leave room for that, Because this is what he writes. He writes his own, won't call it a gospel, but in the book of James where he covers a lot of topics and a very popular verse that a lot of people understand. This is in the Amplified Version. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. You believe that God is one, you do well. So do the demons believe and shudder in terror and horror such as to make a man's hair stand on end and contract the surface of the skin. What James writes is that, hey... You believe God is one. That's great. But the demons believe that too. So just believing in God, just believing that, hey, God exists, just believing that there must be a God who created all this, that's not enough to move you over the line of faith because the demons believe that too, but you don't see them here worshiping God, right? So there has to be something that took James from belief that God exists to belief in God, right because he made clear, hey, all the believe all the believers, all the demons and Satan, they all believe that God exists, but they haven 't put their belief in God, and those those are those are two totally separate things because one is, hey, I believe that this is true, but I'm not willing to invest in it and show by my actions that, yeah, I'm accepting this. All right, so let me give you an example. Uh, there are a lot of people who, who, and I hear this on the radio all the time, and I'm not, again, not political, but a lot of people saying that our economy is great right now, and they can believe that our economy is great but if they believed in it, they wouldn't be pulling all of their money out of the stock market, right? That, that's not showing me that you believe in it. Let me give you a more local example, and Glenn and Stacey are here, so I'm going to talk about them. Now, I can tell people, and I have, that, hey, I think they have one of the best pizzas in the city of Pittsburgh. I can say that and believe that, but that doesn't mean anything unless I'm spending my money on their pizzas. So if I tell all you guys, you should go get their pizzas, and you're like, that's great, are you getting one? And I'm like, no, I don't eat that. Then that's not, that's, that's, I can believe that, but I'm not showing that I actually believe in it until I'm investing my money in it, right? Because then I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm accepting it. And they can tell you, I, I, I can't remember the last time we ordered from them without getting one of their pizzas. So, um, I do believe it, right? So there's belief that something. Yeah, God exists. God is real. But when you step across the line of faith, you go to belief in. And let me give you an example uh, from the scripture. Um, There is, and again, if you've been around any length of time, you've heard me preach through this passage multiple times because it's so relevant and it's so true. Um, in the book of Acts, right, uh, there is a man named Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, it says, Now living at Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius, a centurion or captain of what was known as the Italian regiment, a devout man who venerated God, treated him with reverential obedience as did all his household. And he gave much alms to the people, prayed continually to God. So here is this guy named Cornelius. He's not he's, he's not Jewish. Uh, He believes that God exists, and so he does the things that he believes need to happen if you believe that God exists. He doesn't have belief in God through Jesus Christ. He has no relationship with God. All he does is believe, yeah, I believe God exists. God says I'm supposed to go to church, so I show up on Sunday. God says I'm supposed to go to Sunday school, so I go to Sunday school. God says I'm supposed to give tithe, so I give tithe. God says this, so I do that. There's a lot of people in that place today where they believe that God exists. They show up and fill the pews or chairs. Uh, they they show up at Sunday school. They show up at Bible study. They give their money, but they have no relationship with God because they haven't taken the belief that God is real, and here's what he says to do, they haven't acted on it to show their belief in God. So what God does is, with Cornelius, he says, hey, hey Cornelius, you have belief that I exist, but I want you to have belief in me. So he sends Peter and the Holy Spirit has to break down the walls of uh, racism and cultural things that, that Peter has in place in order to say, hey, Peter, go to this man's house. And I want you to share the gospel with him. Because the only way that he's going to go from belief that I exist is if he experiences belief in me through Jesus Christ. right? Because the Bible says no one comes to the Father except through Jesus So Peter goes, and this is what happens. This is why it's one of my favorite passages. It says this, verse uh, 43. Peter is sharing the gospel with Cornelius, his household. Cornelius invited all his friends over so that they could hear this. Peter is sharing the gospel. Peter says to him, meaning Jesus, all the prophets testify and bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who adheres to, trusts in and relies on him, giving himself up to him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter explains to these people, some who don't know God, Cornelius and the family who do know God, and they have belief that God exists, he explains to them, here's how you go to belief in God. You have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did, and believe that you're going to receive forgiveness of sins because he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Right? And this is what I love because it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. In other words, uh, as Peter was sharing this message, as Peter is explaining how you go from belief that to belief in, the people that were listening went to belief in. They put their faith and their trust in Jesus. He didn't do an altar call. He didn't say, I need you guys to bow your head and raise your hand if you just accepted Jesus. He didn't say, you've got to come up to the front. And he didn't say, hey, repeat this prayer after me. He explained to them how you go from belief that to belief in. They stepped across the line of faith, went to belief in, and then God saw that they went to belief in. And for everyone who went to belief in, God said, yeah. Now, the same thing that we started with, Jesus saying, hey, my Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit, God said, I'm going to send it to you as well, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and every person who went to belief in. Because that's how it works. right? God's not looking for uh, us to um, read Uh, just read and know his word um, without applying it and taking action on it and putting our belief in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as the band comes up. And God, we realize that there may be people, maybe not in this room, but maybe watching online or who may watch this later or whatever, who are probably in the same place that James was. Where we looked at you and we mocked you and we did not put our faith and our trust in you. But my prayer is that for anyone who hears this and has that understanding, and if they're in that place, that they are able to go from belief that you are God and that you exist to belief in you through the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I pray that as they do, as they, uh, as we just read, as they trust and rely on you, as they give themselves over to you, as they adhere to you, that you would put and give to them the promised seal of the Holy Spirit as proof and evidence of their now new relationship with you and their eternal destination with you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would ignite a fire and a passion in them to share your word with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.